0: Chapter 9 of Douglas Duane. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Douglas Duane by Edgar Fawcett. Chapter 9. Two days afterward, Demotte called upon me in my laboratory. The moment I looked into his face, I discovered that he was perturbed discomposed are you very hard at work he asked seating himself near a window and absently moving the slant shadow of his cane here and there on the sun-flooded carpet no i said letting my gaze wander among the various paraphernalia that filled the apartment i am getting to be a confirmed idler i fear an idler you yes my work has come to a kind of standstill somehow I thought, while I gave this reply, to what depths of meaning it pointed. "'You're on the verge of some magnum opus, I suppose, and pause accordingly.' I tried to laugh in an unforced way. "'That's a most charitable definition, Floyd, of my laziness.' "'You don't know what laziness means, my dear fellow, any more than I know what industry means. "'It might have proved of infinite benefit to me if I'd been born a poor man.' i sometimes think that book-collecting hobby of mine has been ridden quite far enough in any case the mania is a good deal less violent than formerly perhaps if i'd had some true occupation douglas i'd i'd possess a healthier mind than at this moment and you think your mind an unhealthy one now i saw precisely the drift of this conversation but i preferred that he should not perceive this was the case His tone of self-pity astonished me. I was unprepared to hear him approach the subject of his relations with Millicent, but provided he did so at all, self-defense looked his one calculable and prospective method. Could he possibly mean to denounce his own conduct as blamable? Such was his intent, as he soon made clear. How can a mind be anything except unhealthy that turns, as mine does, blessings into torments? millicent is the loveliest creature in all the world i should take the keenest delight and pride whenever she won the admiration of others he made a gesture of the most pitiable exasperation but i can't find anything except a dull gnawing misery in her sanest purest diversions it must be a kind of insanity with me i suppose it is you know all about it by this time good god i don't imagine people haven't seen it and talked about it by scores I'm not such a poor head-hiding ostrich as that. And now at last she has begun to complain. It's no feeble remonstrance, either. She doesn't merely deplore affairs as they exist. She demands a sweeping change in them. It seems queer that she should, after her long and remarkable patience with me. He lapsed into silence, and I straightway took the opportunity of saying, She has certainly shown great patience with you that's your real belief is it he questioned with emphatic anxiety where contrition also appeared operative it's not merely my belief i returned it's my firm conviction he started up from his chair went to the window in whose sunny flood he had been sitting and soon turned from it with his face full of both somberness and resolve i'll conquer my folly he cried i'll yield to millicent in everything she shall go everywhere "'She shall know everybody. "'By Jove, Douglas, if the men make love to her, I shan't mind. "'Or I shall force myself not to mind.' "'Draw the line there,' I said, smiling, "'though I felt almost as little like smiling as I had ever felt in my life.' The next few weeks corroborated unmistakably this new resolution. The Second Avenue house was thrown open to guests with a successful abruptness which bespoke wonders for the dormant potency of Demotte's name and position. There is a strong flavor of nonsense in such a fact when recorded of a republican city like New York. If some European nobleman had thrown open his doors to the Merry Patrician Monde after a prolonged retirement or absence, their acquiescence in his desire to meet them once more would have suggested no element of strangeness. But here was Floyd de Mott, in the chief city of a country whose very roots of being were supposed to strike far down within the fresh, untainted soil of democracy, and yet who found himself easily able, after neglecting it for years, to assert a handsome patent of grandeeship, the reverse of all conceivable principles on which our American Commonwealth was founded. But let the shafts of satire that almost any hand may sharpen rest. So far as concerns my own sense of this national self contradiction, quickly unshaped. The truth remains that Floyd Demott bared his threshold, and that many amiable, modish, and well bred people thronged across it into the rather limited drawing rooms which lay beyond. The season suited such a dispensation of hospitality. Three or four afternoon teas blended themselves very appositely with the festivities reigning elsewhere in town. Then, too, there was a marked curiosity to see the woman whom Floyd de had married. Of course, the accredited umpires of society sent cards in return for those of Mr. and Mrs. de There could certainly not be the least danger in their doing so, as they unanimously argued. She may have been a Miss Heaven-knows-whom, but she was now Floyd de wife. And was not he bound by complicated ties of blood to the noblest families of Nicobockerdom? Assuredly, he had been a bear of seclusion and reserve heretofore, but now that he chose to emerge, now that he had consented no longer to faire la police over his wife in that farcical fashion, it should do no harm, mercifully, to pardon his past stupidity. As for Millicent, she deported herself, through all this time, with a childlike ecstasy, as naive as it was delightfully becoming she wore the new robes that deft milliners wrought for her with a grace the weariest cynic could not deny her the neat-cut costly satins and velvets which now ensheathed her supple form and resolved their elegance and sumptuousness into folds which some intuitive tact taught her how to irreproachably dispose borrowed a new beauty from her own instead of augmenting it she became a popular personage at once because of her sincere gladness to move amid the light and colour of gay assemblages, and the entire sincerity of enjoyment which made her personal loveliness universally attract. Demotte went with her everywhere, bored to the soul, hating the new life he had forced himself to accept, but cultivating a tolerance of the whole ordeal, for which I knew that severe remorseful pangs were responsible. And I, how did I know this? for the simple reason that i followed millicent and her husband into the thick of their recent exploit it was no more difficult for me to do so than the mere leaving a pasteboard at certain houses for i was that absurd personage an american gentleman with an inherited right to hold himself at pleasure an active nabob or a capricious recluse millicent and i met each other constantly at entertainments nowadays She was always infallibly cordial to me, no matter how many devotees surrounded her. She would sometimes laughingly tell me that I was quite as much thought of as she, and that I helped her to swell her power through my faithful adherents. But in my heart I knew this either a grievous mistake, or else a mere friendly compliment, born of that ever undisguised liking which had so often raised itself before me, as the mockery of my changeless passion. It had been a gay season, but it waned at last toward Lent, and I was certain that Demotte drew a vast sigh of relief as it did so. One evening after Lent had set in, I presented myself at the Second Avenue house, prepared to accompany himself and Millicent to the opera. I was a little late, my own brougham had driven to the door and had met Demotte's carriage waiting there. I was prepared on entering to find Millicent in a humorously scolding mood. And Demotte, as usual nowadays, neutrally quiescent, but I had scarcely passed into the drawing room before it became apparent to me that some serious disturbance had taken place between husband and wife. Millicent rose from the sofa to greet me, her fallen opera cloak blending with her festal draperies. Demotte stood not far off, leaning against the mantel. "We are not going to the opera," Millicent said as she gave me her hand not going i echoed the why that i was about to add died on my lips i had seen demotte's clouded face but it was he who next spoke millicent considers me a tremendous tyrant he said grimly that i believe is why she has decided on not going have i called you any such name she asked turning and looking at him with a full calm arraigning directness demotte shrugged his shoulders oh no not in words you have meant it you have meant it beyond the shadow of a doubt what tells you that she exclaimed with a little despairing gesture as she turned to me my conscience he said she sank on the sofa again I thought Floyd's tyranny I ventured was quite a thing of the past if you will pardon my having an opinion at all on a subject which does not concern me these words were addressed to Millicent though I made them loud enough easily to be overheard by her husband. "'It does concern you,' Millicent cried, with a sort of good-natured irritability. "'Why should it not? "'It's your fault, Douglas, if the subject has no interest for you.' "'Yes,' struck in Demotte, "'coming a little in my direction and watching me with an intense scrutiny. "'Millicent is right. It's your fault.' "'I looked from one to the other of them with wonder.' "'I let myself say the first thing that rose to my lips, "'perhaps because this very wonder compelled me. "'So then,' I faltered, "'there is no real quarrel.' "'Quarrel?' exclaimed Millicent. "'She instantly rose, went over to demott "'and threw both arms about him, kissing him on the forehead. "'How could there be a quarrel between Floyd and me?' "'She continued, while crossing the room again "'to within a short distance of where I stood. "'Don't you know us better than that?' Surely, Douglas Duane, you ought to know us better. We have simply found out to-night just how much we love each other, nothing else. Ah, I said with a gravity that was no doubt as colorless as I sought to make it. Demotte laughed uneasily. It's this, he said. This and this only. I happened to give my wife a kiss when I saw how pretty she looked in that pink silk, and to tell her that we somehow used to be better friends in the old days than we are now. I may have said it with a touch of rather testy sarcasm. I— He did nothing of the sort, assevated Millicent, lifting one hand repellingly toward him, as if to wave away the credibility of his announcement. He said it with a voice as kind and sweet as any he ever used, but something in his voice pierced me with—with contrition. Yes, that's just the word for it, contrition. Here her voice broke, and she caught her breath as if in the effort to make thorough tranquillity the dignified keynote of her discourse. Millicent, her husband now struck in reproachfully and admonishingly. She wheeled herself toward him for a moment and then turned again to me. Don't mind what he says, she swiftly proceeded. He has been martyrizing himself all this time. I have seen it and known it, and I have behaved like, well, like a selfish creature you i murmured it seemed to me that with her flushed face and her richly gleaming eyes with the thread of diamonds about her slender throat and the two or three tiny white feathers jutting from her high banded coronal of tawny hair i had never yet seen her so beautiful as now her loveliness thrilled me with a new enchantment you i repeated yes i she hurried douglas you are so wise so calm so reasonable you're a mathematician a great thinker a man who will some day do something marvellous in science even if you haven't really done it already you must see perfectly just how ungenerous i have been i don't want to go about in fineries and have idle flatterers talk to me if it is all boring poor floyd to the very soul i ought to have stopped it sooner than i have i ought never to have begun it i want to end with it now forthwith that's why we're not going to the opera that's why we're going to live a much quieter and no doubt more sensible life i won't see my husband suffer any longer and now she slipped to my side and caught my hand in both her own peering into my face with her blue vividly loosened eyes but we've made a kind of compromise together floyd and i we're both so fond of you you know that "'We were speaking of you before you came in. "'We didn't dismiss the carriage for the opera "'till you came on that account.' "'On what account?' I asked. "'Millicent broke in Demotte. at this point. "'Don't cling to his hands as you're doing. "'It won't alter matters. "'He'll never consent to make himself the victim "'of our absurd foibles.' "'Yes, it will,' cried Millicent. "'She clasped my hand still tighter, "'with one of her own, "'and loosened from it the other, "'raising this to my shoulder and resting it there. "'Our compromise, as I choose to call it, Douglas, "'is that you will come and live with us. "'We both want you to come. "'We're both devotedly fond of you. "'I spoke to you of this before. "'I've told Floyd that I did. "'You will be immense company for both of us. "'You shall be our sole society, "'our parties, our kettle drums, "'our opera, our entire outside world. "'I'll settle down again. "'I'll become Millicent Hadley once more.' the little prim bookworm's daughter will you come douglas i-i ask you as a sister she had put one arm about my neck now in a clingingly infantile way that expressed the innocent eagerness of her persuasion as no other action could do and then her face brightened into a smile whose radiance blent itself with the balm of her breath but suddenly a laugh of roguish sweetness rippled from her lips and With that bird-like activity of movement all her own, she turned her face towards de "'May I kiss him as a sister Floyd?' she merrily shouted. "'Perhaps he will consent to come and live with us then. May I?' De lowered his head, laughing too, and thrust both hands into his trousers' pocket. He did so, this decorous monster of jealousy, jealous of even women's liking, of his wife, yet not jealous of mine. "'Oh, yes,' he said kiss him if he will let you but it won't make any difference he'll never come and live with us he'll stick to his solitude his acids his salt his chemical treatises and his beloved electricity all the same millicent laughed again and kissed me on either cheek drawing away from me with a second wilder and half frightened burst of mirth as she did so now she cried hurrying straight to her husband's side he put out a hand and drew her to him you foolish Millicent, he burst forth, and then they both watched me. She was blushing and laughing. He had a smile on his face. It seemed to me that smile a sort of infernal defiance. I knew well enough that it was utterly the opposite, but so it seemed, none the less. And I laughed too. Millicent has conquered, I said. My heart galloped so that it made a humming sound in my ears. I fancied they must hear it if it did not soon stop. Yes, I'll come. I'll resolve myself into the compromise. I'll come and live with you both. Millicent gave a joyous little shriek of triumph, and kissed her husband many times. From that night I never felt as before toward Floyd de He incessantly presented himself to me as a foe, even a scoffer. He had ceased to be the man I had thus far held him. His very friendship had become a jeer, A sinister and unpitying taunt. End of chapter 9